as you can see, sometimes here at Crosswinds we wear many hats. And we do that because we love serving the Lord, but also because we have fun doing it. So if you're interested in serving and having fun, then come and talk to me after the church service. We'll see how we can get you involved. So good morning and welcome to Crosswinds Church. My name is Kim, if you don't know me. I am the ministry coach here at Crosswinds. And one of the jobs of the ministry coach here at Crosswinds is to give sound advice and counsel to Pastor Ken. So three or four weeks ago when he informed me that he was going to go to the Warren Dunes with the teenagers, I sat down and I reminded Ken that he is no longer a teenager and this might be physically demanding for him to do. And since it's Saturday that they're going, they went yesterday, by the way, it may have an adverse effect on his mental and spiritual state and also on our Sunday service. And Ken, it was like talking to a teenager and telling them they couldn't stay out late on a school night is basically what it was down to. But he turned to me, he took it very well. He turned to me, he says, Kim, you're absolutely right. He said, you preached the sermon on August 1st, so here we are. It was about a year ago, July 26, 2020 to be exact, that I stood about in the same place and I I spoke a sermon to you on faith. And then last March we were inside the building and I did a sermon on hope. And my good friend Michael Demetrakis, who I believe is listening today, so if you are Michael, hello to you and Deb. But anyway... Michael came and he said, Kim, you did a sermon on faith. You did a sermon on hope. Now you need to do one on love. And I laughed at Michael and I said, Michael, you know my background. I'm probably the worst person that should be speaking on love. So then I had to sit down and decide what I was going to do. And I reminded myself that about a year ago when I had I had hip surgery back in 2019, in the fall, and and I recovered just in time for COVID-19 protocols to be put in place. So by June, just before I did that faith sermon, I got all anxious about things, and I quickly, I just finally grabbed my phone, and I started surfing the Internet, and I came to a dating site. And I saw, I went through, I was like a kid in a candy store. Oh, she's pretty. Oh, she's pretty. And then I finally came across the most beautiful smile I have ever seen. And I looked up to see who she was, and her handle was God is number one. And I thought I needed to know more, and so I read it, and I found out she was from West Virginia. So what's the chances that a nice-looking woman from West Virginia wants to talk to a geeky guy from Illinois? Well, it didn't stop me. I sent her a nice note, and I said, I really love your smile. And it's refreshing to see somebody put their spirituality up front on a dating site. It wasn't the most romantic note I ever wrote, but hey, you know, I wasn't going for romance. I guess I was just trying to be nice and didn't think she'd respond to me anyway since she was so far away. But much to my surprise, 10 minutes later, she did. And so we talked for a few days, just messaged back and forth. We talked on the phone finally. And after a while, I mustered up enough courage to ask her out on a date. Now, we're 467 miles away, and it's COVID. There's nothing open anyway. So she probably thought I was really crazy by now. 
But I said, I have a Zoom account. We can do dinner over Zoom and we can just do whatever. And she said, yeah, sure, you betcha. So we had dinner. We talked for about four and a half hours and we decided to meet in person. So we found middle ground. We went and met. We talked some more. And we had Bob put everything on the table. And I said, you know, the only thing we haven't talked about is the 467-pound elephant in the room, which is the distance between Plainfield, Illinois, and Huntington, West Virginia. So Trish turned to me. And by the way, Trish is sitting here, so don't be Facebooking her today and telling her all the nasty things I'm saying. (laughs) But she turned to me and she said, Kim, how do you eat an elephant? I said, I don't know. She said, one bite at a time. So let's see what happens. So as you can see, it's been over a year. We're still trying to eat the elephant. It's not easy. Some days it's harder to swallow than others. And about a month ago, Trish came here to Illinois to visit, and I took her to my favorite place in the whole wide world. It was It's on Eagle Cliff at Star Rock. If you've ever been there, Eagle Cliff sits on top of the river valley. You can see for miles in many directions. And I've been up there many times. I try to get up there early, and usually on a weekday, you could, if you get up there early enough, you can sit there by yourself and have great conversations with God. And on this particular day, Trish and I were sitting up there. We weren't talking to each other. We were enjoying the scenery. And all of a sudden, this thought went through my head. This is the most beautiful place in the whole wide world. Wouldn't this be a great place to propose? Well, I didn't have a ring or anything. In fact, the thought went through my head about three seconds earlier. But I turned to her and I said something like Richard Gears said to Julia Roberts in the movie The Runaway Bride. He said something very eloquent like, hey, maybe you and I ought to, you know, what do you think, huh? And she says, yeah, sure, you betcha. So um, after the 4th of July, I went down. Trish and I went to Tennessee. We celebrated her birthday on July 11th, and we made the engagement official. So I'm pleased to announce that we are engaged now. Thank you. And keep in mind that applause is for me. You can pass your condolences to her later. So, But given this new status, I thought I should do a sermon on love, and maybe I'll learn something, and maybe there's something I'll learn that I can pass on to you as well. So today I would like to read from 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, 
it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Show me your hands if you've heard this verse before or some part of it. Show me your hands. Yeah, most of us have heard it. Anybody who's been to a wedding probably over the last five decades has heard at least a portion of this verse. And, you know, we get all weepy at weddings. It's such a beautiful setting, and and, and the flowers are so pretty, and the bride is so stunning. And, oh, my God, the bride is my ex-girlfriend, and I'm still in love with her. Oh, sorry, I got carried away. I've never done that more than a half a dozen times. But have you ever really stopped and listened to what this verse really says and what it means? Even better... Have you ever looked over your over at your spouse or your significant other, especially if it was read at your wedding, and asked yourself, "Have we really apply, are we really been applying this verse to our relationship?" I mean, as I get older, I become more cynical. I mean, love is patient, love is kind. Isn't patience just the ability not to strangle somebody who desperately needs it? And the only reason we have any patience at all is because there's too many witnesses. But then it goes on to say, and then it goes on to say it does not envy it, it's not boastful, or it's not proud. How does that work when you're sitting around the table with your poker buddies or your pre-knuckle lady friends and you go, I caught a fish this big? Then it goes on in the end and it talks about not dishonoring others, not self-seeking, not easily angered, doesn't record a record of wrongs, doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth always protects, always trusts, always hopes and perseveres. And as I read that last part, I wonder why we struggle with the concept of love and why the divorce rate in the United States is 50%. I mean, especially since there's like eight godjillion books written on the subject of love. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. If you aren't familiar with the five love languages, let me share them with you. There's words of affirmation, which are true statements affirming the worth of another person. There are gifts, which is the tangible objects that says, I was thinking of you, I wanted you to have this, I love you. There's acts of service. It's service freely given, not out of fear, but out of choice. In other words, random acts of kindness. Quality time is putting importance on togetherness and enjoying each other's company while engaged in activities. Having quality conversations are just giving undivided attention to one another. There's physical touch, which is communicating through the gentle touch or intimacies such as hugs and kisses. And just in case you were wondering, my love language is quality time, so just so you know. But do a Google search on love types, and you'll come up with eight types, all in Pastor Ken's favorite language, Greek, which is why he always says it's Greek to me. But here's the eight. There's, there's philia, which means close friendship or brotherly love. The Bible constantly urges us to love one another. There's pragma or enduring love that develops over time by putting effort into a long-term or reciprocated relationships. 
There's storage, which describes family love, the affectionate bond that develops naturally between parents and children and brothers and sisters or old friends, usually brought on by memories. There's eros, which is romantic love, brought on when you engage in physical touch. There's ludus, is playful love, brought on by flirting or showing interest in someone you admire. Mania is obsessive love. Think jealousy and rage on that one. There's felucia, which is healthy self-love, where you respect, accept, and appreciate yourself. And finally, there's agape, which is selfless love, expressing unconditional love in any situation, the kind of love that Jesus Christ shared with us. And there's all this information, and yet today people are still confused about love. I have to admit, when I reached about this point in the sermon, I was lost. I didn't know where to go. Trish called, and and she said, is there anything I can do to help? And I said, I don't know. I don't know, Trish, what I don't know. And she asked, what am I going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to hope the Spirit either gives me a direction on this topic or he gives me a new topic to start researching. I was afraid I was going to fail. But then God stepped in and he proved to me that, once again, that failure wasn't an option. As I prayed, I opened my Version Bible app and I came across the devotional called The Seven Laws of Love. It was written by Dave Willis. And the first daily devotional I read was Love Conquers Fear. First John, he used 1 John 4.18 as his Bible verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. He went on to say, and he used an old old uh, quote, it says, courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the presence of love in the face of fear. Love has the power to overcome your fears by giving your courage, giving you the courage to face them with faith. And as I read more, I found out there's over 700 verses in the Bible on love, including the great commandment in Mark 12, 30, 31, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There are no greater commandments than these. You know, I reached a point where I figured out that the country western singer Johnny Lee was light, right. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. All you need to do is open the Bible and everything you need to know about love is right there. Paul dedicated this entire chapter in the letter to the church of Corinth on love. Paul had seen in the Corinthian church that they had a lot of faith and a lot of zeal. And he commended them for that. But in 1 Corinthians, the first three verses, he also cautioned them. All these acts of faith, speaking in tongues, performing signs and wonders, and even giving to the poor were not sufficient or even beautiful without love. They sounded like clanging cymbals, or as Solomon once said in Ecclesiastes, they were meaningless without love. And love for God, and it's the love for God that extends to a love for people. And if Paul needed to caution the Corinthians about this, I am sure something needs to be said today to Christians as well. No matter how many college degrees you have or skills that you possess or talents, how smart you are, the job you have, the title you have, the money you make. 
None of it means anything if it's not motivated by love. Paul said in Romans 12:3, For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In my professional career, I worked in a variety of universities, and probably 70% of the people at the university have a Ph.D. And while a doctoral studies usually is in a specific field like English literature or entomology, which is the study of bugs, for many it seemed that that Ph.D. made them an expert on everything. And often they had no problem lording it over the rest of us who were not as degreed most thought that more highly of their knowledge than passing it on to the students. I got into college student services. I was an academic advisor because I wanted students to have more information and direction than I got as a student. I found that bringing love to my job and helping students be successful was much more rewarding than any degree I had, the money they paid me for my job title or the accolades I got. The reward wasn't my pedigree or my ability to do my job. It was standing at graduation and watching them complete their degree and reveling in their success. And if you want to see an outstanding example of love in the church for God and for that extends to love for people, spend some time with our resident fisherman, Pastor Ken, and watch him work. Many of us are here because his love and passion have drawn to us here. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, Paul describes love both positively and negatively. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious or boastful or proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, and always perseveres. That sounds great, right? But love often goes our natu- against our natural inclinations mainly because there's people in our life, maybe a spouse or significant others, our kids, our parents, our extended family, the people we work with, the people we work for, the people who work for us, the customer service people who wait on us, that nasty driver who pulls out in front of us and almost runs us off the road and causes an accident. It is impossible to have love unless God helps us set aside our own natural desire so that we can love freely and without expecting anything in return. John says in 4, 8, and 9, in John 4, 8, and 9, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Jesus was the physical embodiment of God's love. Everywhere he went, he loved and he healed people using two primary methods, his words and his touch. Does that sound familiar? Go back to the five love languages. And we can do the same to promote love and healing in our own relationships. Be willing to speak a kind word to the loved one in your life who needs encouragement. Don't let your love be an unspoken assumption. Make sure your loved ones know exactly how much you love them because your words and actions make it clear. When love is present, healing is present. It won't always look miraculous, but it will always make a difference. 
the more we become like Christ, the more, we, more love we will show to others. And in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10, Paul tells us, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. That completeness Paul is speaking about is the return of Jesus. So we need to understand Christ's love. John 13, in John 3.13, John, I'm sorry, in John 13, Jesus showed his servant attitude to, to disciples when he washed the feet, washed their feet. Washing guests' feet was a job for a household servant. But Jesus, God in the flesh, was willing to serve. We, his followers, must also be servants willing to serve in any way that glorifies God. There's a special blessing for those who not only agree that humble service is Christ's way, but who also follow through and do it. To be a leader, a person must also be a servant. Are you willing to follow Christ's example for serving? Then think about how you treat your people in your life, whether it's your spouse, your children, your friends, your employees, the customer service workers, volunteers, or that crazy driver who invades our driving space. In verses 11 and 12, Paul says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I, was, when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul is contrasting here what is temporary with what is permanent what is elementary with what is mature and what is here and what is to come. And he offers us a glimpse of the future to give us hope for that day when we see God face to face. This truth should strengthen our faith. We may not have all the answers now, but one day we will. Someday we will see Christ in person and be able to see things with God's perspective. God loves you and offers his grace to you. He wants you to embrace the good news. Come follow. And then he wants you to freely share that good news with others. Go fish. And finally, in verse 13, he says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Faith is defined as the evidence not seen. When Jesus returns and we are enjoying life together with him, faith will not be necessary because we will see the one upon whom our faith rests. Christian hope is when God has promised that something is going to happen, and you put your trust in that promise. When Jesus consummates the kingdom, everything we have hope for will be realized. Then hope will no longer be necessary. But love endures forever because God is love. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice by his death on the cross and his resurrection so that we may have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, love is not a story with a happy ending. Love is a story with no ending. The Bible is God's love story to us. God created everything in perfection for us, yet we departed from him. 
Even before the foundation of the world, he and his son decided to love us. He was patient with us in our sin. He kindly sent us prophets to warn us to turn our sin and to let us turn from our sin and let us and then left us to be broken for thousands of years. And when that didn't work, he sent his son. His son wasn't arrogant. He wasn't boastful. He was perfect and did not sin and always spoke the truth. He humbly came to serve us and show us what God's love was like in human flesh. But we were arrogant and rude and insisted on our own way. And we beat him and we mocked him and we nailed him to the cross. And even though he had the power to destroy us, he bore it all. Nails did not hold him to that cross. Love did. And because of his love, God allowed our sin and shame to be placed on him. And he endured it all so that we could be forgiven. He died on that cross and he was put into a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he proved love does not end when he walked out of that tomb alive again. Jesus is the greatest expression of God's love towards us. And if you turn and put your faith in him and follow him in hope, you will know forever the greatness of his love. And then the love, then love others the way he has loved you. I'm going to ask Jeremy and the worship team to come back up. And I know they move kind of slow, so I'm going to take a little breath here. If you are someone who needs love, needs prayer or a kind word or a warm touch today, I'm going to go stand over here and I'm going to listen and pray for your needs. If you don't need prayer today, then I ask you to be someone who provides it. And when the song that Jeremy and is going to, and the team is going to perform, I want you to get up and turn to your family and tell them you love them. Then share your love with someone in the crowd, preferably someone you have never met before or someone you haven't talked to for a while. And just ask them how they're doing. Come follow. Go fish. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day today. We thank you for the love and the grace and the mercy that you provide us to be able to carry your word out, Lord, and glorify you in that name. Lord, we ask that you bless us with opportunities to go fish, to talk to others, to help others, to show that love for others that that we keep inside us, Lord. Sometimes it's very difficult and we have a bazillion excuses to make why we can't do something, Lord. But Lord, we know that you know the truth and we ask that you give us the strength and the courage and the commitment to go out and do that. Lord, be with us as we go through this week. Bless us and guide us. Give us all the strength and energy that we need and be with us as we pass through the week and come back here again on Sunday. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.